friends and welcome to 40,000 Steps Radio. I'm your host Christopher Heimerman and I am not a licensed healthcare professional, not a counselor, not a therapist. No, I'm a guy with 819 days of sobriety and I'm a guy with the gumption to put his story out there. This is so exciting. I'm not a psychologist. However, I have a clinical psychologist in training. Joining me for the first time as co-host, Allison Grady, star of a recent podcast, Join me to chat with a longtime friend of mine, another professional, professional teacher, and soccer and hockey coach, Matt Cotto. I've known Matt for many years. The two of us share a lot in common. We were excited to pick Matt's brain, and in a little bit here, you'll understand why that choice of words is very appropriate about concussions and coaching and general attention paid to mental health. I'm so grateful that both of them joined me on this early morning, and I'm grateful to everybody for being here and being part of this community. I'm looking out the window, and it's a beautiful day to get our 40,000 steps in, so let's get it. Welcome to the 40,000 Steps Radio family. Thank you so much. I am honored to be a member of this family. You were already a member of the family having been a guest on the pod, but now you're kind of like that super cool aunt who drops by and like spoils the kids rotten and makes everything a lot better. (laughs) (laughs) I love that. For those who aren't familiar, who somehow haven't listened to the episode that you starred in, it was about a month ago. And you opened up about uh, your struggles with with mental health, with depression and anxiety, and your battle with disordered eating and as as a result, an eating disorder as a college track athlete, you know, share with uh, with the listeners like what that did for you and and what it was like saying some of that stuff out loud. Um, saying it out loud was terrifying because I think I mentioned this in the episode, but when you say something out loud, it makes it that much more real. And so I remember the day the episode came out, I was like, I was really nervous. I was kind of shaking because for the majority of the people in my life, close family members or even just acquaintances had never heard me talk about any of this before because I had just kept it inside. But it was the most freeing feeling and it still is. I still feel like I'm riding that high of just being my more authentic self. I feel like I'm not hiding anything more. It feels like this giant weight has just lifted off. And, you know, I can be honest. I can be like, oh, yeah, you know, I just had a therapy appointment this morning. That's why I couldn't make whatever event. Or, oh, yeah, I have a call with my psychiatrist today. Can we push that event back like an hour? And it's like I don't have to come up with those lies. Mm. And it's it's awesome. I have to assume you're sleeping a lot better, right? Yes. The sleep is the best. <laughs> that was the case, you know, when I got sober or when we, when we, you know, take on our, our mental health head on the sleep, my God. Well, it had to have been pretty cool. Then, you know, we're talking with Matt, who is a teacher. He's a coach. He's a dad of a, of a young goaltender. And it had to have been cool for you to hear him in a, in a manner of speaking, sort of doing the same thing that you just did of talking, you know, publicly about going and basically having his brain examined, so to speak. So how, how wild was that? It was absolutely wild. And I commend him for sharing. And I feel honored that I was a part of that conversation. Um, it was, it was really cool for, for me as a college student to be able to look up to him and see the other people. And obviously you, you doing the same thing, sharing your story. Um, but particularly because he is a coach, you know, it's really neat for me to see how he opened up about how his own personal experiences, um, kind of set fuel to the fire for why he's advocating so much for 
uh, mental health in athletics as a coach. I think that's something that is so important, but still in our society, like we talked about in the episode, it just goes overlooked and it just takes time for certain people to to change their way of thinking and making sports a more mental health inclusive space. Well, and I know that your, your track and field coach uh, created a safe space uh, for, for you you know, when you suffered your panic attack, was was that back in February? Does that sound right? It was, yep. Not yeah. a very good day. Well, and, and now over the years, you've played basketball, you've played soccer, you know, you, of course you ran track and field in high school. You know, we don't have to name names, but I mean, I can only assume that you, you've had some coaches in your life who that wasn't necessarily the case, right? Where the, there wasn't this comfortable environment for for mental health and stuff, right? Oh, absolutely. I've had certain coaches where I can't even imagine going up to them and opening up the way I have to my track coach um, or the way I could have to my high school track coaches. Um, A lot of coaches, you know, are so tough. And especially I can't, I'm obviously a woman athlete. I can't imagine because of like the gender roles, how different that is for men and boys and their relationships with their coaches. It's just a really tricky space where emotions aren't always welcome. Well, that's wild because so much of sports is emotions. I know. You win the big game and then like, I was just talking about this the other day and then the euphoria fades away and then you crash and then you have to get back up for the next game. I mean, it's funny that you mentioned, mentioned the gender roles too, because yeah, there is this societal perception, you know, the guys are tough and they can take tough love and that girls can't, which is absurd. So you have seen that side of the coin. Have you run into spots where you felt as though you were being treated with kids gloves when, when that wasn't warranted? 100%. My track teammates and I talk about many instances when we were at meets. Our meets are um, both men and women athletes competing. And we have had instances where we have officials treating us differently than the men, making gendered comments, um, and even just... um, other other comments from you know authority figures where we feel like we're being treated differently but i feel like in the mental health space especially that shouldn't be a thing you know we're all humans we all experience these emotions and why is it that those euphoric highs that we get as a result of winning are prioritized over the the lows that we may we may be experiencing i mean we saw that in the olympics with simone biles and everything and i know you you wrote about her. So it's, I'm really happy that more publicity is being given to these issues, but we still have a long way to go. Yeah. Shameless self-promotion. The, uh, the blog entry can be found at 40,000steps.com where you can listen to all the episodes, including I'll emphasize it again to go back and listen to, to my conversation with Allison, who now is going to be joining us occasionally to co-host episodes, which is which is super duper exciting. You know, there's a partner of the podcast that I'd like to point to where whether you're battling mental illness or whether you're battling uh, addiction or you think you might have a problem, even if you're you know looking for some, for some help with your anger management, you should reach out to my good friends at DUI and Behavioral Health Counseling Centers here in Northern Illinois. Folks, if you or someone you love might have an issue with drinking, drugs, mental illness, or anger management, it's time to get in touch with my friends at DUI and Behavioral Health Counseling Centers here in Northern Illinois. It's time to set up an assessment. You've got nothing to lose. Depending on your situation, the assessment could be free. If you're loaded, it's going to run you 80 bucks. That's the max. If you're a veteran, an NIU student, or unemployed, you're going to get a break. My friend Ron Parch and his team use their 25 years of experience to build an individualized treatment plan that's confidential and effective. They approach people in distress with respect, and I cannot stress enough how important that is to feel respected when you're going through something. DUI and Behavioral Health Counseling Centers has offices in Sycamore, Plano, and Crystal Lake. Check out DUISycamore.com or call 815-895-9000 and set up an evaluation today. Write this down, folks. Call 815-895-9000. 
visit DUISycamore.com or you can email DUIBHS at gmail.com. So Allison, in terms of making progress, I, I think that this conversation with Matt can go a long way and maybe providing some tools for coaches, tools for parents in terms of, you know, a lot of this is about concussions, but so much of it is about mental health in terms of, you know, being available to these, to these young athletes and, and, and paying close attention to those conversations. Um, what would that have meant to you as a youngster, if a coach would have been proactive in starting those conversations about how you're doing? Wow. I think it would have been game changing. No pun intended. <laughs> Love it. Um, <laughs> I didn't start, you know, having like emotional intelligence or realizing that, hey, something's not right here. I want to try and figure it out until I came to college, as I mentioned in my podcast a little bit. I think that if I had coaches that emphasize the importance of talking about your emotions and the, the mind-body connection, which Matt kind of emphasized, which talks about how your mental health impacts your physical health and vice versa, I would have been able to nip some things in the bud that I'm still dealing with today. I think it can have profound effects, ripple effects on just your well-being if people are upfront about certain issues and how they can arise in different situations from a young age. Yeah. Well, to reveal a little bit of uh, podcast magic, you've probably gleaned so far that we already had our conversation with Matt. We did that about, you know, an hour and a half ago and we got out of the conversation. Here is the eternal struggle of being an interviewer and a podcaster. So you always get out of it and you realize, shit, I should have gotten to that other thing. And Matt had that experience where he identified with you and me after he listened to your episode of the onset of a lot of our anxiety when we were in high school. Whereas for him, it was sort of after high school as he was getting into college. So he pointed out, you know, the importance of, and, and here is his text. <laughs> oh, oh man, the post podcast realization text. It's so good. And he said, you know, we, we were 20 years and a state apart, but we had the same anxieties manifest in the high school setting. What is it about how we deliver formal education that establishes such a response and how do we remediate it? Then he says, perhaps a future conversation. So in that spirit, we might have to circle the wagons again in a few months and, and talk. Oh, about absolutely. That. Oh man. I feel like I could talk about that for hours. <laughs> There's so many answers. Well, in the meantime, this was a terrific conversation. It was enlightening. It was educational. And for me, it was, it was really kind of, it, it was emotional and it was inspiring. So I think we should, I think we should kind of get out of the way and, uh, and let the interview do the talking, huh? Sounds good to me. All right. This is our conversation with my longtime friend, my comrade, and uh, someone who I love very dearly, Matt Cotto. So we're, uh, we're, we're catching up on where, on where Matt, yeah, I'm going to call him Cotto throughout this interview. It's just, it's, it, it is, or Uncle Taco. <laughs> I heard about Uncle Taco uh, <laughs> when I went over to Chris's for dinner. I love it. Um, um, we're kind of rehashing his trip a little bit. You guys, I'm insanely jealous of both of you. You guys have both been like out meandering through the wilderness these past couple of weeks. Yeah. Cotto, so Badlands on the way there, Dubuque, what, what all what all was in between there? Um, I mean, caught a Yonder Mountain String Band show um, at the Levitt Pavilion outside in Denver, which was great uh, to get, you know, fully back. So it was great to get out and to people again and see live music and congregate and uh, you know, engage in some fellowships. So that was, uh, that was pretty great. Got a tour of the Stanley hotel up in Estes park, the, uh, inspiration for Stephen King's shining. Uh, so that was wild. If you find yourself that way, certainly encourage, encourage, encourage you to get to the Stanley hotel. Okay. I have to interrupt. See, I thought maybe you guys ran into each other. Right? I have to interrupt because there's no way you were up in Estes park. When were you up in Estes park? Uh, last Cause I was there too. Last Saturday. See, I think you guys probably like passed each other on Allison's way back. We 100% passed each other because I was up there last 
last week too, last week and a half. Oh, that's awesome. Um, we were up there hiking and stuff in Estes Park. My mom, every time we drove by the Stanley Hotel, she mentioned that. We never got a tour, but drove by it several times. I'll give a shout out to tour guide Ian, one of the best tour guides uh, I've ever experienced. It was, a, it was a hell of a tour for sure. Uh, yeah, we were trying to do some hiking. We wanted to get uh, into Rocky Mountain National Park and uh, hike Bear Lake, but um, with uh, passes to, to get in at the uh, certain entry times with COVID and the the high high demand for the park we weren't able to get in so the the stanley hotel was uh was an okay uh alternative uh for our day there and then we made our way up to the black hills uh deadwood sturgis is going on so um i saw more motorcycles than i thought i would ever see in my life which was an experience um certainly an experience given you know as you might imagine at a place like sturgis up in the black hills um Certainly a lot of people with mixed politics and the pandemic going on. And it's just a lot of, it was very surreal, very surreal experience. This is a safe place, by the way. The moment I would have seen like the motorcycle brigade, like I would have gotten like, I would have had a very visceral reaction to that. <laughs> like a very skin crawly reaction. Yeah, I had a, I had a, I had a bit of like initial. And then again, like I, I just, uh, I, uh, Took a, took a deep breath and I was like, you know what? Nope. I uh, I am one of those who trust the science. I got stuck. I trust that my vaccine works and I'm going to have myself a good time. That's awesome. Yeah. So Allison, I, I sent a text to Takato and one of our close friends, Johnny Bass, uh, Sunday morning because I was so stoked that my Bucks flag had just arrived, my Milwaukee Bucks flag. So I'm like showing it off and, and, and Kato replies with the most picturesque pictures of their campsite i'm like you motherfucker yep. <laughs> so you sent a picture of your bucks flag which is awesome by the way i saw that on facebook and then he replies with pictures of nature sunrise over a mountain with a teepee i think you one up to you there a little bit yeah it was just it was not a fair fight well shit well I'm, I'm so glad you guys are both here and i'm glad you guys are both willing to do this early because Allison has like the greatest excuse ever after we conclude here, uh, she gets to, to go to the happiest place on earth. She gets to go and see her therapist, uh, which for me is, is like the happiest place on earth. Cause it's where I actually get to like put all my problems. But let's, let's kind of dive into this, Matt, you've had a, a hell of a pandemic. <laughs> yeah, I have to put it, uh, to put it lightly. Yeah. I think that can be said for most, but you know, maybe we'll get into this while, you know, I know that I'm going to touch on it and then people are going to be like, well, where did that come from? You know, you had a mild heart attack last spring, which it was probably the culmination of a lot of different factors. And then you know, walk us through this, like you're, you're just getting back into teaching and I think you're remote teaching, right? And you're sort of self critiquing yourself and, and you start seeing, seeing and hearing some, some weird shit as, as you're talking, right? Uh, yeah. So, um, but I kind of put the whole put the whole thing together for folks. It was my the year 2019, 2020, right? Um, the year heading into the pandemic was my first year of of full time teaching after changing careers from political organizing, and um, it was a little hectic. I started with a 40 percent contract teaching social studies, um, but before the school year started, that had been bumped up to 60 percent. And then, you know, a month before the pandemic, um, one of our teachers takes another job and I moved to 100% and I'm given a whole new curriculum that I have to teach and pick up in the middle, right? Um, so I picked that up. I think that was, you know, right around Valentine's Day of 2020. Um, and quite literally then one calendar month later, um, March 13th was, uh, at least here in Wisconsin, our last day face-to-face -face with, with students, right? Um, so then we're virtual teaching. I'm trying to learn this new curriculum. Uh, certainly it's quite stressful. We don't know what's going on with a global health emergency. Uh, and then, yeah, April. So I used to drive around town and like one of the healthcare providers here used to have these billboards up and I used to think they were the funniest goddamn billboards because it was always like this old grandpa looking guy and it just said, it wasn't gas. <laughs> and it was... <laughs> Those get your attention. They do, right? And so, like, I'm sitting there, like, after dinner, and I, like, I eat, like, I eat a shit ton of tacos, right? Um, and 
like like whatever i think i have like bad indigestion it's going for hours and hours and hours and just like all of a sudden it feels like i have a knife in my back and i have a really high pain tolerance um and i'm in like tears so we go on in but it's the pandemic right so like i'm dropped off um don't have my phone or anything with me um and so through this experience it's not up until you know i'm transported up to you know green bay half hour by ambulance um and left my phone at home nobody can really contact so now i'm you know an hour away for two days with like super limited contact and a lot of time with myself right which is something we're probably going to come come back to a little bit later as as we're chatting but flash forward like things are good survive got a couple stents in the heart uh things are looking great getting my exercise um you know no real no real concerns uh about uh about anything forthcoming annual checkups uh, moving forward and that's all well and good um but of course then we you know we come back to school after the summer right and um at least in my district we start with this kind of blended learning where like all the teaching is virtual but the kids are in school and in cohorts and can get like direct help if they need um which again it's just you know there's just sort of these added stresses of like how do we how do we figure this out and it's fine right like we, we have to like this is the situation in front of us we're professionals we have to figure it out but that doesn't mean it's not uh certainly a stressful situation um, and of course, things pick up, the numbers pick up uh, in terms of the, uh, the, the COVID cases. And we go to full virtual and like working out of my basement, which is dingy and cold and right. So all these other like things that just can affect you mentally. One of the benefits though, and um, you know, I'm a two sport coach, soccer and hockey. Like I like to look at tape um, is that we're recording all of our lessons now at this point. Yeah. So, so you're going in the film room Yep. and so, and self critiquing, right? Yeah. Because I'm not getting the feedback I would normally get in the classroom from kids. I don't get the body language. I don't get the, the connection because honestly, like they're dealing with the same stressors on the other side of the screen and who knows, uh, you know, if they're even there, some of the camera, you know, most of the cameras, uh, aren't turned on, right. It's an avatar art, you know, it's difficult. It's like you're talking to to yourself. It'd be like if you were doing your show, Chris, and you didn't have a guest, right? Seriously, that has to be unnerving. Like, uh, you know, because it was the same thing with our girls. We would get the daily email from the teachers of, please have your child keep their camera on. We don't trust that your second grader is paying attention to the lesson. And I mean, here here you're dealing with teenagers, 16, 17, 18 year old kids. It, it, has, it had to have been just unnerving every day. Uh, yeah, yeah. And as somebody, you know, um, just out of high school, I got, you know, diagnosed with a generalized anxiety disorder, which is socially uh, sort of triggered, which of course, right, public speaker and teacher, um, you know, but power through it, right? And that's kind of why I, I love teaching as much as I do, because it's that it's those daily successes over the anxiety, uh, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, it's the like, yeah, you're here. And I know you're here. And I know that you sometimes provide me with good information in terms of how I'm feeling, but most of the time you're a fucking liar. So hang out over there while I do my thing. Yeah. Um, but, uh, but yeah, so I like, okay, well, I don't have any feedback from the kids. So how do I know if I'm doing what I want to do? And then I just started seeing some like un, unusual things for me. Um, loss of words, which is, uh, usually not the case for me or stumbling over words using the wrong words um, in in certain cases um, many cases you know I, I found myself with a stutter that I you know hadn't had um, and I teach a broad spectrum of, of the social sciences including introductory psychology where we focus a lot on on neuroscience um, as well as brain trauma and I've had a couple of um, oh, a few three um traumatic brain injuries concussions that were that were diagnosed right and you know we can lead this can lead to any number of neurological uh issues so as i'm seeing this i'm like starting to make connections and be you know, kind of kind of concerned um so yeah then probably around christmas uh chris i think is when i reached out to you guys and was like hey just so you guys know i'm gonna go uh get some some neuropsych testing done just to see just to see what's up so, and, and, you know, you mentioned those, those major, you know, traumatic brain injuries, 
you know, we're going to get into this with the coaching stuff in a bit, but I mean, it's, it's the, it's the, it's the recurring, it's, it's those, those mini, it's those subsequent cumulative. Yeah. Or what they will call like subconcussive as well. Right. Like it's not doing any noticeable, noticeable damage. Um, but it's still, it's still giving that brain brain a shake. Right. Yeah. Six, six, seven years of organized soccer through high school. I mean, you know, we used to do heading drills all the time. Uh, I've been coaching soccer a couple of years up here and we, we don't, I've never done a heading drill in my time coaching. Yeah. Not saying that heading's not in the game, but, but we, we're not, we're not going to sit there and make you, you know, head a hundred balls during practice. Cause that's just not smart. Yeah. That's a reason why any like football coach, you know, worth his salt is, isn't running like full tackling drills on a, on a day-to-day basis. So how do you get prepared for this appointment? Like mentally in terms of, I mean, are, are you scared shitless going into that? Because, you know, we're not talking about like a shoulder injury. We're talking about your brain. Yeah. So kind of right. Because there are any number of things that it can be. So I try, I work really hard to temper like the emotions of, of fear. Um, again, like I know they're helpful, but it, it drives a lot of my anxiety. Like what is anxiety except for like unwarranted fear. Right. But, uh, so I try to temper that quite a bit and, but like, I knew there were like some, some serious things there. Like this is my second career. I'm just hitting, right. I'm moving into my third year, uh, of full-time teaching right now. Um, so I'm sitting here middle of my second year going like, holy shit, am I losing my capacity to do the one thing that I found, finally found that I love, mm-hmm. um, which was probably the biggest fear that I had there. Um, not so much the other stuff. Um, but like, man, this thing's really great and it could be taken away from me pretty quickly here. Um, so in terms of preparation for it, um, it was a lot, honestly, it was a lot of just like, it's going to be what it's going to be. It's going to be testing, right? Like my concerns were, um, you know, is there early like dementia from the TBIs? Is there potential CTE concerns from the TBIs? Um, so I kind of knew what kind of testing I was going to be getting into and I knew, that it wasn't going to have to be a whole, I knew there was going to be some discussion of my scenarios and my situation and my experience with, with the neuropsychologist. Right. Um, but I also knew it wasn't going to be as heavy as therapy can sometimes be. So that also, I think helped me set it up, uh, for it. And I kind of just kept it out of mind um, until it got a little bit closer. And it was helpful that I, I had it scheduled for like right before the, the holiday break um, where I was focused on trying to finish up finals in a virtual world and had a number of, of distractions to, to keep my mind off of the, the worry that, that could surround it. Um, but it was a relatively intensive uh, uh, day. Like if you, if you don't like like logic tests or tests where you have to determine patterns and things like that. It was, um, um, or memory games. If you're, if that's not your thing, like it, it's an excruciating, it would be an excruciating five hours of, of testing. Oh man. Five hours. Yeah. Luckily for me, I very much enjoy, uh, puzzles and, um, you know, my, my, my first time through school, my original degree is in philosophy and I specialized in logic and I tutored logic. Um, so it was, it was kind of a fun five hours for me, I guess. Yeah, but you're not, yeah, <laughs> yeah but you're, you're not playing risk. You're not playing a board game here. You know, you're not playing for like beating your, your, your friends in competition. I mean, this is, did you have to kind of reduce it? to that though, in order to sort of compartmentalize what could be, what could be the outcomes or the results of, of these tests? Um, I guess yes and no. I get like from my teacher mind, like I look at it the way, like I explain things to like kids and the, and the comparison I make between teaching and coaching, right? Like test day is game day, right? This is what we practice for. Like, so I'm looking at it and like these tests, like, yeah, it's my livelihood. Yeah. It's, it's, you know, affecting my consciousness and that kind of thing. But at the same time, it's like, it's game day. It's like, we're testing my brain today. Right. Like this is what we're supposed to be doing. Uh, Allison has been nodding a lot. I have. (laughs) Okay. First of all, I'm just sitting here thinking about the timing of the sequence of events. It couldn't be worse. I mean, from a student's perspective, 
um, even in college, you know, I feel guilty that I have been one of the black boxes that I try to give responses, but you know, it gets tough. But just hearing the the other end, like the teacher's perspective is really fascinating. So you have that going against you. And then I just, I took um, my concussion test for, for athletics this year. And you know, it's a bunch of logic tests, only an hour, not five, but it was, <laughs> I, I did not enjoy it. So, I mean, I commend you for, for sitting through five hours of that. Um, it can be stressful. And even when you don't have traumatic brain injuries, it's very challenging. So I can't imagine going through that. But um, I like how you said it was just like game day. I think about that mentality a lot as a track athlete. Like Matt was talking about earlier, you know, I, I saw you nodding in terms of it's that ability to harness that anxiety and produce results. It's it's like we get that dopamine hit of taking, you know, what what might be you know, construed as a weakness or something that we're battling against and we kick its ass and we, you know, we live to shoot another day. And there's, there are a few things in the world that are more satisfying than that. Oh yeah. So Matt. Okay. So you do the logic tests and stuff. How, how fast, yeah. do, how fast do the results turn around? Was it a few days? Was that maddening? Yeah, that wasn't so bad. Like I had an appointment set up. Like, I think I, it was a Thursday. Um, and you know, it was like a clinician that did the testing and then the doc was going to go over everything. Um, and then, you know, we had a virtual meeting for I think, you know, a half hour uh, the following week to go over everything. Um, so it was it was kind of rough. The positive side, though, is that it literally, um, again, just uh, luck of the schedule for me, I guess, um, is that I have these distractions in there. So um, I took the test like right before the Christmas holiday and the follow up was after the holiday. So I had I don't know, three Christmases in there to <laughs> to distract me from all of that. At the same time, though, you know, the only person in my family that knows that I'm dealing well, my my wife and my son both. But then we're going through the extended family and everybody's like, hey, how you doing? I'm like, thinking to myself, like, kind of fucking shitty, but yep. <laughs> Merry Christmas. <laughs> <laughs> you don't say that. Yeah, absolutely. But so you have the follow-up. I mean, your tests, do they come back like completely clean? Jog my memory. Yeah. Um, like I couldn't ask for a, a better report back, like no indications of anything. Um, the term that I keep, that the, that the doctor used that I keep using around the house and, and Mackenzie, my wife, uh, really just dislikes it when I use it. It's like, I always tell her like, remember, I'm wicked smart. <laughs> <laughs> Certified. Yeah, yep. I got it from a PhD. It's in the paperwork. Oh yeah, I'd say that all the time. If, <laughs> if the doctor told me that. You got bragging rights. Wear that like a badge. Well, you 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 uh you're doing the t-shirt printing stuff, man. Does that that's gotta be on a t-shirt, right? Oh, it's gonna have to be at some point in time. I just got my screen printing stuff yesterday, so we're gonna start testing this weekend. We'll see what happens. If I get a good uh if I get a good print, Chris, I'll I'll send you my first run, my first prototype. That's awesome. Uh I'll trade you a 40,000 step shirt. That'll work out great. Perfect. Um, so, okay. So what, but what unfolds after that? Because, you know, you're noticing these things as you're critiquing your lessons that does, does that stuff start to go away or what? So, uh, no, of course, what comes out of it is like, obviously we want to cool. You don't have these major problems, but how do we fix what you're dealing with? Cause certainly it's an, an issue. So, um, you know, again, being diagnosed with the like generalized anxiety disorder um, early on in my college career, um, the doctor and I spoke a little bit about that. She recommended um, some cognitive uh, behavior therapy uh, sessions to kind of just get my anxiety triggers in, in under control, be able to recognize them. And again, help do kind of what I was talking about earlier, more so of the like recognizing it. Yep, you're helpful sometimes, you're not helpful now please take a back seat while I do my work um, and being able just to recognize and, and isolate those things. Um, and then also recognizing that uh, just the stress of the situation and how that was probably affecting sleep um, um, was causing some of those, those issues that I was seeing uh, in the film. So it was a lot of um, just kind of behavior change. I think I told you uh, afterwards, Chris, I was, you know, doing that stuff, did a little, uh, it's not routine therapy. It's like, as I, as I need it, set something up. Um, usually I can do that through my EAP, which is, uh, which is really cool and positive. You develop a toolkit. Yeah, absolutely. 
to pull from when I need it. And, and actually, it's been kind of positive, especially after we went back face-to-face uh, learning at the end of last year to, to be able to pull from that toolkit and lend tools to students. Yeah. I mean, ultimately, it makes you a better teacher and a better human when, you know, when life forces you to take that examination of things. Now, I mean, when we were in college and hanging out all the time, like, it, it's funny that, you know, in hindsight, you know, I was I was miserable as hell depression, anxiety, all that stuff running rampant, you know, you're, you're dealing with your anxiety, you know, we're drinking all the time, which is clearly a way of, you know, of dealing with that, of coping, Mm -hmm. of self-medicating. But I mean, how nice is it now to be talking about this stuff and to be addressing it? Because my God, for so many years, I had no idea what you were going through. You had no idea what I was going through. I mean, it's amazing. It's a weight off the chest, right? The two of us, like, we've always had a strong relationship and just think of how much stronger our relationship has gotten uh, just in the past, you know, what, 800 ish days. Yeah. Yeah. No kidding. So yeah, no, it's, it's, it's great. But it also, I think speaks to the, the, the commonality of what people are dealing with today. Um, And again, you know, we talk about breaking stigmas, like I think, Christ, look at Congress. Tell me we don't have a mental health issue or a crisis in this country. Looking at the way like leaders are handling things and reacting to each other, right? Yeah. Um, like it. It just it feels good to to call it out, and it's good to. I think it's good to be like. I'm. It reminds me of like a Jack White story. He was like asked about like his social media presence and things like that. And he responded that he was really happy that he was not one of the Americans who had that addiction. Like he doesn't have a cell phone and stuff like that. And like, I'm really glad to be in a place where I can go like, nope, I'm not one of the majority of Americans who's in denial about what we're all dealing with right now. Yeah. Yeah, no doubt. Hey, so you alluded something before with that, with that sort of oddly specific number of the 800 days or so. Are, are you referring to, to my sobriety date? Yeah. 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 Okay. Because th- this is, this is something I'm, you know, I'm curious about and I don't ask this of people very often and it's not because like, it's something that I don't want to know about. It just never really comes up. I mean, what is it like for you having a, having a friend in recovery just on account of the fact that like I, I'll sort of go out of my way. Like this weekend, we're going to see Bradley, the Schmetzler clan. Yeah. Yeah. Which I'm very excited about. And, you know, I, I pointed out the other day, I was like, I'm bringing some near beers. You know, you guys feel free to have as many old fashions as your heart desires. I mean, I, I'm such an empathetic person that I spend a lot of my time trying to make sure that everybody else is living their life (laughs) because only then can I live mine. I mean, I guess what's it like on your side of this transaction? At first it was like, right. Cause you know, a number of us didn't get news until you were, until you were out of rehab and in recovery. Right. Which is all, all well and good. But it's like, Oh, so like, there's a lot to take in there. Like shit. Like, and there's a little bit of reflection and, and I think guilt there as a friend too, going like, "Hey, did what? You know, what did I miss? You know, where did where could I have you know s- stepped in, or where could I have been a better friend uh, on that front?" And then there's the like the initial like, "Okay, like how has how is Chris changing? What does he need from me?" And like, yeah, there's that question and uncertainty of like how you act. And I think you and the girls and and base and his family, you know, came up for that pool party and like, what was that? the summer before the pandemic, maybe just as we were getting into the pandemic. No, we, it was August. It was like the last hurrah when it was like, we know what's coming down the pike over these next few months. Oh yeah. Yeah. We've all, we've all tested negative. We can have one last hug. Yeah. That's what it was. (laughs) Yeah. Um, And I think that was the first time like we had like hung out since, uh, since you had been in recovery and you were just very open, like guys have your, have your beers. And yeah, I trust you enough as a friend to be like, okay, he's being honest with me. I'm very grateful that that's, that that's the case for me. Obviously my, my recovery can be something of an outlier in this community, but no, I, I remember like when I was in the thick of my drinking, I, you know, friends of mine would get sober and I would sort of like recoil at that. And so I think that that's kind of what I feared when I, you know, when I got out of rehab is I was like, you know, people are going to think that I'm a kook. People are going to, because that's, that was my own insecurity and my own deflection 
when when other friends of mine actually made a commitment to loving and taking yeah. care of themselves. Yeah. Well, and of course, a lot of that, Chris, though, is like is learned cultural stuff. I mean, you grow up on the shores of Lake Michigan in Northeast Wisconsin, <laughs> and like there's beer at baptisms for crying out loud. You yeah. know what I mean? Yeah, no, well, yeah, it is, is. It is such a central thread of our culture, and. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, we, we do develop the reaction of like considering somebody abnormal that they won't pregame before church. Mm -hmm. Right. Right. <laughs> All right. Well, well, Matt, I'm going to take a moment here and pay some credit to the folks who did help get me clean. One of the partners of our podcast is Gateway Foundation in Aurora, Illinois, where I went to rehab. If drugs or alcohol are starting to take over your life, it's time to get honest with yourself and get help. These days, many people are at home or out of work, and the temptation to turn to alcohol and drugs to cope with stress and anxiety is stronger than ever before, right? Stop using now before it's too late. Gateway Foundation is here for you and your family with life-saving inpatient as well as virtual programs, so you can access the help you need from the privacy of your own home. Don't wait to get help that you or a loved one needs. Most insurance plans are accepted. Call Gateway Foundation now at 877-505-HOPE. That's 877-505-4673 to schedule a free confidential consultation. Or you can visit gatewayfoundation.org and get the help that you need today. All right. So transitioning a little bit here. There's something really cool here and it kind of dovetails with you having gone through, you know, the, the, the experience and this battery of tests and stuff in that you and I, I, like you said, we're closer than ever before. Our, our relationship is more authentic. I get a kick out of the fact that whenever you and I conclude a conversation, it ends with us telling each other that we love each other, which I have to admit the first couple of times is really fucking hard for me because of that, that you know, because of that cultural barrier, but we've gotten there now and it, and it feels really good. And I, and I, and I see Alice, <laughs> I see Alice and responding. Allison, what is it like for you when you see two, two dudes actually express that they care about each other? It's amazing. Um, I know that because of the culture we live in, it's like that learned behavior, right? That you're not supposed to do that as men and it's weird and if we look at like the masculine and the feminine dichotomy it's more on the feminine side but that's kind of bullshit it doesn't make sense and so it's really cool to see you be able to break those barriers through the vulnerability and just get past that and kind of be able to be your more authentic selves and it's wild how you guys were going through college and you're both going through so much, but you didn't talk about it. And it's just amazing to see how um, once you're able to open up, how much closer you can become and how much more authentic those relationships can be. It's interesting though. We were, we were, we were dealing with it together. We were self-medicating together. We were, you know, we were bros through it. We just, none of it was communicated so we couldn't be supportive on the things that we needed the support on. Yeah, we were in a uh, we were in the trench together. The trench might have been on fire, right? Yeah. But at least we were in it together. And you know, bef before we get off this topic, like I want to point out that I think what makes our relationship even more remarkable now, and what it took to get us here, is the fact that you and I are very liberal people. We're compassionate people, and yet very open-minded people. And yet, you know, it, it, it took it took me a while to sort of bridge that gap and be able to, you know, say some things out loud about how much it, it it's just, it, it's funny how much, how much society, how far we have to go as a whole. And I, I guess in a, in a messed up way, I sort of understand, you know what I mean? I'm very, I'm very aware of the problem because it, it took me so long to make some progress. Mm -hmm. Well, and you know, and part of it, Chris, again, both of us, you know, being compassionate, like you said, and empaths, we also don't want to burden folks with our with our issues. That's right? huge. Like, yeah. Many, many moons ago, we talked about having this conversation. One of the emphases was going to be that you as a two sport coach are very, very deliberate about, I mean, th there's a multi prong approach when it comes to taking care of your athletes. There's education about concussion. There's baseline testing. 
there is being available to your players and, and the parents when it comes to mental health issues. I mean, tell me about the process of building that, that sort of a culture. Yeah. So most of the, you know, national umbrella sports admin, you know, across all sports, um, have done a pretty good job implementing the, the protocols and processes and the foundational cultural information around concussion protection and prevention. Right. Of course, that varies based on how that's implemented, of course, at the local levels and at youth sports across the nation based on geographical cultural differences. (laughs) There we are again. (laughs) I hate to keep beating up on Northeastern Wisconsin, but we're there. And yeah, yeah. Christ, was it, I don't know, last summer there was parents brawling at a wrestling match in Kakana. I don't know, but so I teach or I coach 12U hockey and, and JV high school soccer, right? Luckily enough at the high school level, right? They go through their impact, uh, their baseline tests. They have to do that before they can play with all of their, with all their other physical and other paperwork to be eligible to play. Right. Uh, we're also lucky enough, uh, at, uh, at my, at my building to have a partnership with the local hospital and we have athletic trainers who can then handle diagnose, um, let us know when kids are good to go. So there, you know, on the pitch, head contact, right? Um, whether it's the goalie taking a ball to the face or heads colliding on a header, you know, that player is undoubtedly coming out and getting a, getting assessed by the trainer and they're not playing until they get an okay from the trainer to go back in. That has to be relatively new, like past 10 years. Uh, I would imagine so. It's certainly, <laughs> um, so with the program that I'm at, I was also uh, on the inaugural team back in 1997 when the soccer program first started. Uh, we certainly, I mean, we didn't, we didn't even have a level pitch, much less access to athletic trainers. So um, yeah, I don't know exactly how new that is, but uh, a relatively new partnership um, with local sports medicine, which is, which is great to have. Um, of course, at the, you know, at the lower sports levels, when we're talking 14U, 12U, 10U, 8U sports. Um, we're really looking at volunteer coaches and and parents to be making the right calls, right? So, and and that even varies here in, in our community amongst sports and amongst the, again, different coaches have different perspectives and they believe concussion science or they don't, um, uh, although they should. Uh, Cause it's quite serious. It's like the only brain you got, right? Like you can work without an arm. You can't work without your brain. But uh, typically what we do is, you know, any head contact uh, on ice, um, you know, kind of your basic questions of orientation for the kid. If they're complaining about dizziness, headache. Um, we typically bring the parent down from the stand and then consult with them. And we let the parent make the call. Um, just given the autonomy that, that parents have over, over kids at, at that age. Um, and given the fact that again, it's volunteer situations across the board. I mean, my God, what would happen if, if, if you had the edict of young Johnny, he's got to, he's got to sit the rest of the game. I mean, that would create a shit show in and of itself. Uh, I mean, it could potentially, I mean, I think with our organization, it'd be pretty good. And, you know, I've never had it with, you know, parents, you know, what, what do you think? It's like, well, you know, if it were my kid, I'd sit them out of precaution, right? And then yeah. typically they take that suggestion. But that that relationship takes work, and that's where you have nurtured that culture to where you can have productive conversations and an understanding. I mean, is is that the case on on the JV? Because we're talking about hockey right now, right? Yeah. Yes. I mean, in soccer, it's it, isn't that kind of a different world in terms of that that program has been in place, and you sort of walked in there. Didn't, didn't you have to make some institutional changes? Uh, no, the, the the culture over at the soccer program has been really great, which is, um, I think, part of why I was uh, kind of asked to join and was very happy to join. That's right. Um, at the time, uh, three three quarters of our staff are, are um, graduates of the program itself, which is awesome. So we have a lot of, uh, you know, built-in pride and ownership of it. And, you know, it's nice. It's also, you know, as you might imagine, again, up in northeast Wisconsin, soccer, the, the most... Uh, racially diverse program. So 
we look at being, we take a lot of pride in, in that, moving up academic successes uh, on top of it, and then making sure that the kids are, are healthy all around in terms of both mind and body. You know, we, we might have folks listening to this podcast who are new coaches, who might be youth coaches. We might have somebody listening to this who's, who's uh, coached football for 30 years, and they sort of have, it's the way we've always done it mentality. Um, so y- you have, you know, some knowledge that you could, you know, that you could pass forward. Like when I was working as a sports editor out in the Sauk Valley in Western Illinois, uh, there were two programs of the 10 that we covered that had actual certified athletic trainers. Uh, a number of other ones had personal trainers, <laughs> which, which is a whole other animal, but you know, that would be their case. It's like, Oh, we've got somebody on the sideline. We've got a personal trainer. We've got Johnny's mom volunteering or, or Johnny's uncle volunteering. Um, what, what's the practical advice that you could give to a coach who is trying to better address concussion protocol? And, and I mean, really what a lot of this boils down to is taking care of the mental health aspect of their athletes. They kind of go hand in hand, but it can also be easily siloed those two things, right? Mm-hmm. In terms of the concussion stuff, like you, you just got to take it seriously. It's not worth, particularly when we're talking about youth athletes, right? Um, and when we're talking about brain injuries, athletes under the age of 21 are the only group of athletes susceptible to what's called secondary impact syndrome, mm-hmm. where if you go back into play, uh, without your first concussion being healed and you get an impact, uh, another concussion, you have a significantly higher risk of like exponential brain swelling. Um, I think one story that I share with my psychology students when we go through this uh, was a, I, for, I think he played at Duchesne University. Preston Plavridis is, is his name. And he was like top notch, top notch football player. Um, who could have and should have sat one or two more games um, and instead had to relearn how to walk twice and have half of his skull removed, right? Like, it's just it's just not damn worth it. We're talking about kids' brains. So head contact, sit them. They got symptoms, sit them. It's that simple. This is the way you've always done it. I'm sorry, any other profession, if you don't change and grow over 30 years of doing it, you're not actually a professional. Times have changed, the science has changed, and and the mentality's got to change. Now, and, and with this particular brand of injury, there is, you know, the monitoring on the sideline, which is which is obviously important, but it's the monitoring the subsequent days. Like one of the kids I covered out, out in Sterling, I'll keep going back out there because it's my anecdotal experience. You had this middle linebacker who was an absolute demon, and he suffered countless concussions playing linebacker, and he... For, for a teenager, he was a man's man. You know, he was a tough kid. And he, he, you know, in his words, he never really experienced negative emotions, you know, that he never really experienced until he started getting concussions. And then he would start sobbing without any provocation. Mm-hmm. What's, you know, what, what are your experiences like that? Seeing an athlete who's, ex- who's experiencing this wild range of emotions that they haven't experienced before. So I haven't had to deal with an athlete who's had that sort of experience personally yet. Um, however, my series of concussions is what you know my, my diagnosing doctor believes led to the development of my anxiety, mm-hmm. right? So I've, I've been there myself. So I can speak from that personal side. Man, like trying to figure it out and not knowing what, like it's hell. It's awful, right? Like I remember, man, going in the way back machine, right? Like 39 is just around the corner here. So I'm thinking back to when I was like 19. And, uh, but like before my diagnosis and like just breaking down in tears and like just wondering out loud, like what the hell happened to me that things just weren't working, right? And that can lead you into some dark places as you might, as you might imagine. So like to your question about like dealing with an athlete who might have that, or if there's anybody out there who's like dealing with that, I think my message would be like, first off, talk to somebody, right? Like see a therapist to unpack that stuff. So you can also start to kind of figure out where it's being triggered from, right? And again, like the the helpfulness of being able to recognize these emotions for me and being able to know and be able to like 
identify them and tell them, right, that they are irrational and they, they don't have a place in the current conversation um, has been what has worked best for me, right? Like certainly there are other avenues around that, I'm sure, but um, that's certainly the, the, the recommendation and the advice and the support that I would, that I would give there. Well, Kato is far removed from his glory. I'm sorry, but you just mentioned it far removed from your glory days as an athlete. You know, Allison, you are studying clinical psychology and you were a college track sprinter. You've played some hoops. You've played some other sports. You know, what's, what's your take on this in terms of like the modern culture and environment surrounding mental health of athletes? Oh man, this whole time that you've been talking, I've just been nodding my head um, because first of all, the way uh, you talked about how your concussions kind of were the precursor to your anxiety. I think that speaks really highly to the whole mind body connection. Um, and our culture basically denies that and doesn't want to acknowledge that, oh yeah, like the things that happen to your physical body can impact your mental health and vice versa. And so I think it's huge that as a coach, you are bringing awareness to that and you're using your own personal experiences to help current athletes because I really don't think that mental health and how it's connected to your physical health is talked about in athletics. Now, granted, I know I'm a track athlete, so I don't have like that physical contact always, but I played soccer growing up. I played basketball and really, um, I mean, my coaches were great, but they never talked about that stuff. So it's really cool to kind of see how you are paving that path and kind of yeah, thank you. advocating for such a big issue. Now, now, Allison, you, know, you definitely, you're, you're definitely in the, the track and field camp as an athlete. However, aren't, aren't you kind of part of an entire like culture of the athletics department, whether it be at North central, whether it be at Naperville North where like, like you'll, you'll see your friends with other athletes and, and you see them going through this. Am I right? Oh, 100%. And like I mentioned earlier, I just took my impact testing. Like I still have to take it. The whole athletic department has to take it at North Central. Um, I did the same thing when I was in high school at Naperville North. So we've always been aware of concussions. And, you know, I've, I've sat with my friends as they're completely defeated because they got diagnosed with a concussion and now they're out and they want to go back to play earlier. But the AT saying, no, you got to sit out. Um, and I think when you're that young and all you want to do is play your sport and you, you don't you don't see far down the line, right? You don't see how this can like impact you later in life because you're just a teenager in your early 20s and you just want to play your sport. But I think it's really important to have those coaches and, you know, more medical professionals be like, hey, listen, this is this is going to impact you later in your life and it's bigger than just your sport right now. And there's there's a role that that's being left out of this conversation largely and that's the parents' role, you know, Allison in the locker room around campus as you're as you're seeing people suffering. I mean, so many parents out there, and I don't mean to make a, a too much of a blanket statement, but you've got parents who are living vicariously through their kids. Mm-hmm. You know, parents who are forcing their kids into specializing in one sport because they think that they're going to accomplish all the athletic feats that they weren't able to to those heights that they weren't able to reach. And what's it like talking with a friend of yours or somebody who you even might know sort of ancillarily who's dealing with that sort of pressure from their parents? Yeah, it's it's tough. And I'm fortunate that I've always had that support. And my brother has played hockey forever. And whenever there, he had in, like an impact in a game, uh, my parents have always been super cautious and made sure that it wasn't a concussion. But a lot of parents of um, youth athletes out there aren't like that. And it's scary because, I mean, as a kid, I've, I've seen like, you know, you have the kid who's obviously not well and could have, could be diagnosed with concussion. But then there's the parent that's saying, oh, you're fine. Suck it up. Keep playing. And you just don't realize how dangerous that is. And I feel like uh, from a parent's perspective, hearing it from coaches 
can kind of be the driving force that makes them realize, hey, listen, this is actually an issue. Uh, because hearing it from your kid is unfortunately one thing, but hearing it from an authority figure is an entirely different thing. And I mean, on that note, it's not even the concussion side, right? Like it's dangerous to put your kid back out there when they shouldn't be on on the field of competition. Mm -hmm. But like that reinforcement, that verbal reinforcement is terrible for self-esteem. It's terrible oh, yeah. for mental health, right? Um, you know, and it, in terms of hockey, uh, my, my kid's a goalie and I specialize in, in the goalie stuff. And like, that's another place like, and there's a, a nationwide, you know, movement right now for goalie specific mental health because they sit alone back there and they get blamed for the mistakes that the five guys in front of them made oh, every man. time. Right. And like, I can like, and I, I don't do it. Like I'm one of those guys where if, if I'm not on the bench coaching or if I'm not on the pitch coaching, I will not, I just, I can't sit with parents, even if the, the ones that I really love and the good parents are up there because there's going to be one in every crowd, there's one asshole and I just can't listen to it. So I just stand off by myself. But at the same time, I hear people leaving and I hear people talking like you're blaming an eight year old goalie for especially hockey parents. I mean, I love them, but right. Like come the fuck on like you get in there and try to stop a puck from an eight-year-old as a 40-year-old man you ain't gonna do it because you just ain't it takes well and then you compound it by the fact that this kid knows that you're in the crowd and that they are disappointed in you right, right now well right and if you and if you are that asshole they can hear that you are disappointed in them uh. right now right uh especially when you're talking a hockey rink you're yelling down into a coliseum where it just echoes mm. But I mean, on that same note, right? So, like, you know, mental health is is more than. Can, can we take Can we take a moment just to say, like, the? I'm sorry. What I want to know what triggered that laughing fit. I, I I just you didn't just see your child walk by in what what appeared to be his underpants. And no. <laughs> that was the most hockey goalie thing I've ever seen. <laughs> That's terrific. I'm surprised he didn't have his helmet on. <laughs> well, you know, we keep we keep sort of tying these things together as sort of universal themes of society. You know, whether we're willing to believe in science and look out for each other and be compassionate people, we have to have realistic goals as we're advancing these conversations. And I recently pulled out the soapbox about the Simone Biles conversation. Mm -hmm. And I pointed out that, look, there are some people who simply are not going to acknowledge the threat that mental illness poses. So I think that oftentimes we have to meet people on their level and point out, look, I'm going to keep going back to little Johnny because this, this is, <laughs> this is the name we're using. But if we point out to the parent that, look, if I put little Johnny out there, it's not going to help us win the game tonight because he's not in the right place. Like, and it, and it, it's the same thing of like, look, if, if you force big Johnny to go to work today when he's sick or when he's mentally sick, he's not going to close as many deals, you know, for the company. Isn't there a certain amount of having to be realistic in these conversations? And how does that translate to coaching when you have an unrealistic or an unruly parent how do you meet them where they are to try to bring them just a little bit closer to a place of understanding? Well, I, I think I think your comment uh, as you were setting that up about you know not putting the team in the best place to win is the way to do that, right? Because that's what it's ultimately about for that parent. It's about the win. It's about the W, and that's how you frame it. Like just like oh, why why did my kid not make the team? Well, you know the other kids showed up for every weightlifting and every open field. And yeah, it was all optional and they're not being given credit for that, but they picked up skill when they were there because they were doing the work, right? Like that, that's what, that's what shakes out there. So, you know, why is my kid getting enough playing time? Why isn't this? Why isn't that? Right. Well, it's all about, it's all about the W um, at the end of the day. I mean, it really is. Even when we're talking youth sports, hopefully, you know, we're winning with grace and we're losing with grace. Um, but at the end of the day, like you play to win. And I think that's, that's the message, right? They're living vicariously, as you mentioned earlier, for the W's that they didn't get when they were kids. It sounds as though you're in some very good situations 
where that culture is in place, but it still has to be fucking exhausting sometimes. So in that way, I, you know, I'm grateful for you continuing to, you know, to fight the good fight and have those open conversations about things that might, you know, that the people might want to keep in the darkness. Yeah. Sometimes it's good to, uh, get comfortable being uncomfortable, you know, no doubt. Allison, did you have a good time? Oh, this was awesome. Thanks for letting me invade in your in your conversation, guys. Um, I loved it. And Matt, just thank you so much. Uh, mental health and athletes is something very, very near and dear to my heart. So I just appreciate you continuing to advocate for that um, and sharing your story. Well, you use the word invade. I use the word contribute or maybe even carry. <laughs> <laughs> I appreciate it. I appreciate it. Hell yeah. All right. Have a wonderful therapy session. We'll meet back here in a little bit to debrief. And Matt, again, uh, thanks so much for all you do. And thanks for joining us. Yeah, no problem. Thank you, guys. Allison, again, pleasure to meet you. Hope to see you again soon. You too. All right. We'll see you guys. All right. Take care. Bye. All right. I will say it again. I'm so grateful to Matt for the work that he's doing as a teacher and as a coach. Gosh, I'm so grateful for him coming on and having an open and honest conversation about him addressing his mental health. I mean, imagine, imagine listening and watching to yourself as you don't even realize that you're dropping words while, while you're teaching a lesson. That had to have been terrifying. And it's something that a lot of us would run away from. I know that 15, 20 years ago, I think Matt and I both would have run away from it and just sort of willfully ignored that. Uh, but he was able to go and get some help and work on some tools to be his very best self. It's amazing. So I'm grateful for him coming on and sharing that. I love Allison for being part of this program, being an occasional co-host and offering her perspective as a clinical psychologist in training and as an athlete who's wrestled so much with the mental health aspect of performing in the athletic arena. All right. Of course, I'm grateful for having all of you here. And I hope that until we catch up here again, you'll check me out on Instagram. It's at 40,000 underscore steps every Tuesday and Thursday morning at 8 a.m. Central Standard Time. Drop on there for a little IGTV chat. Again, folks, if it feels like outside of this realm, this community that we're building, if it feels like outside of here, the world is falling apart, in here, we are always coming together. We'll catch you soon. Love you much. Peace.